Welcome to the Simply Cyber Podcast, a podcast singularly focused on helping you make and take a cybersecurity career further, faster. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Osier, and every week, Simply Cyber brings industry experts in for honest conversations around breaking into the field, leveling up your career, and how to develop practical skills. Enjoy the show, and be sure to check out Simply Cyber on YouTube for much more content. Now let's get into the show. Operational technology, critical infrastructure, it's all in the news, it's all the rage, and everything, like everything else, it needs to be secured. But I've got to tell you, I've been working in this industry for a very long time, cybersecurity industry, and ICS and OT is like its own kind of secret club, very niche. It's it's really, really a dark kind of mystery uh, to many of the practitioners. And I am so excited today because we are going to be talking to an absolute expert in the space. He's going to be answering a bunch of my questions and all of your questions. And we're going to really understand and appreciate not just what industrial control system security is and why it's important, but how you can learn to get into that field, pick up some skills, because it is really an interesting niche, and there's a lot of opportunity there. Welcome to Simply Cyber, the YouTube channel designed to help you make and take a cybersecurity career further faster. I am so grateful that you are in the audience with us today. If you have questions, drop them in chat. Use a cue at the beginning so I can quickly filter them and find them and, and don't you know think you're talking to each other. And if you're watching on replay, Thanks so much. Drop a comment. I do read them uh, and and you know engage with the audience and stuff like that. So really, really uh, super pumped. So let's uh, explain to you who our guest is. You can see his picture there, Clint Bowdungeon. But this guy is amazing. Okay, he's a world-renowned industrial cybersecurity expert. He's a public speaker. He's a published author. You'll see his book in the background. Um, He's a cybersecurity gamification pioneer, which is like he's the only person really in the space doing it. Now, listen, you may have seen on Simply Cyber in the past, we have done live streams with John Helmus uh, of Red versus Blue playing this uh, really, really interesting, complicated um, industrial control system cybersecurity education gaming platform. That is Clint's platform. Okay, it's amazing. Now, uh, he's also the uh, the author of Hacking Exposed Industrial Control Systems, which we can talk about during the stream. I'm telling you, if it's industrial control and it's cybersecurity, Clint's either done it or know it or he knows about it. Okay, he is a United States Air Force veteran. He's got 25 years in the industry with obviously a focus in industrial control systems and that Threat Gen Red versus Blue platform. Uh, like I said, it's his baby and uh, it's an amazing platform, which is why we've featured it on the program in the past. So let's get into it and let's get this party started. Hey, Clint, what's up, man? So happy that you could join us. Hey, glad to be here again. Abs yeah, absolutely. I love it. So, all right, Clint, let's let's get right into it, because this is probably the most burning question that I have. Like I said in the intro, I've literally worked in this industry for 17 years, and ICS is just this black box, <laughs> mysterious area over there. Like, what is going on with industrial control system security, and why is it such a niche field? I wouldn't really call it a, it's a black box to those that aren't in it, obviously, but I think maybe people may refer to it as a black box because the industrial control systems side is a bit different, quite a bit different from a systems perspective than enterprise IT. And it, 
you know, you programming different. It's it's a little bit different, you know, operating systems from the the hardware side. And it's got these certain specificities around sensitivities of what you can and can't do from an industrial or um, I'm sorry, from a, a vulnerability assessment kind of thing and, and mitigations you put in place. So it's only a black box until you really get an understanding of it, which doesn't take long to get an understanding. Now, it may take a while longer to understand the nuances of building a, a you know how systems are built and and you know programming them but once you understand what industrial control systems are and a high level overview of how they work it's not really a black box and so the reason why it's such a niche field <clears throat> excuse me is because it i would say that in order to be an industrial control systems cybersecurity, uh, when I put quotes for a reason, I'll tell you why later, but to be an industrial control system, cybersecurity professional, you, you really have to be a bit of a hybrid skill set, right? You have to have the cybersecurity skill set, but you also have to have a little bit of automation control engineer skill set. So, and I think that's, that's the part that people see as the black box is that is the engineering side, the operation side and the, the, the automation engineer aspect of it. Yeah. So how, how much of, you know, like when, again, like I, I everything I'm going to have to think of is going to be related to it and, you know, traditional information security, how much are there parallels between, Oh, you have to understand, you know, for the most part, we'll put GRC to the side. You have to understand IT before you can really be great at practicing cybersecurity because you have to understand how it works before you can secure it from doing things that shouldn't. Is there a lot of parallels to like you've got to understand operational technology and SCADA and Modbus and all this other stuff before you can actually be a cybersecurity practitioner? Or is that, you know, not the case? No, I think that that is the case. I mean, anything. And, and I've said this recently, actually. Um, on some of my broadcasts, which is you do have to understand the underlying technology before you can secure it, right? I mean, it, it's kind of like the old adage that you can't secure what you don't know you don't have. But it's, it's also in terms of if you don't know the technology, how can you properly secure it, right? Whether it's operating systems or network protocols or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so, so, yeah, the same does apply to ICS and you really do need to understand at a basic level, you need to understand the sensitivities involved with the control systems, what to do, what not to do. That could actually where the, the solution could end up being more harmful than the, than the fix or than the, uh, than the vulnerability itself. Um, and you need to understand the way the protocols work because they're inherently weak. They're inherently insecure, but mm -hmm. While it is a good thing to understand how to program a PLC and how to build an ICS lab, it's not necessary at a high level, but I highly recommend that you do have an understanding of how these systems work. But I mean, but there's so many different systems, right? SCADA is different from DCS. DCS is different from building automation controls. And so you do need to understand how each of the different systems work and you do need to understand the different components, but I, but you don't really have to be 
a full-fledged automation engineer and programming these systems, but you do need to understand them. Yeah, so it 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 makes me wonder, like, what, you know, I, I see in chat here, people are talking about how different vendors have different languages and, and all unto themselves, and I'm sure that that's intentional for vendor lock-in and that type of thing, but how much is... Like, how, how, what is the approachability of ICS, right? Like, so I've worked in, I've worked in information security for 17 years, right? Can I go be an ICS security engineer because I have that background? Or am I at step zero because I don't understand ICS? And, and, and you know, also like to, to include everyone else, right? So if you're not working in the field, if you're starting from zero, is it make sense to want to like to, to try out ICS because you're going to be starting at zero, whether you've got years of experience or you're brand new. There's a little bit to unpack there. Uh, there's several different answers depending on the situation. And mm -hmm. so number one, like, you know, you know, and it, it, I kind of tell people when I'm, when I'm teaching a class or, or talking about, sorry, but you know, talking about red versus blue, but it is okay. I see that you're talking about OT or ICS and I see that what you're doing is ICS or OT, but, but does it also, you know, but we're, we're looking for enterprise IT or, or we, we want to talk, we want to consider enterprise IT. And there's two things there. Number one, the, in, in, in most cases, an organization that has ICS and Croton control systems is also going to have some sort of enterprise organization associated with it and enterprise systems and IT associated with it as well. And the systems, and, and, and in this case, when I say systems, I'm talking about IT computers and things like that. Whereas in, in the operations world, there's a difference right there. In the operations world, a system is a group of equipment that performs a task for usually for automation mm -hmm. an automated task. So, but what is in a, in, in most cases, what is that outlying infrastructure of the control system comp comprised of outside of the, the specialized equipment, you're still networking with the same networking equipment in most cases as enterprise it, you still have windows computers and these sorts of things, right? So, you already have some of the knowledge as, a, as an IT cybersecurity professional. You already have some of the knowledge you need due to the similar components. So that's one aspect. You already have some of what mm -hmm. you need. As I discussed before, you also do need to understand the systems themselves. So, so you do need to learn those. You know, you can't just walk in as a cybersecurity professional and immediately start working in ICS and OT, you do need to start to understand those systems, but there's also a, a cultural aspect and the credibility aspect. Operations engineers, they definitely have their own trust level, right? And their own kind of language and credibility. And if you walk into an operations environment and talk like an IT person, you've already discredited yourself. So you definitely need to understand ICS and OT well enough to be able to fit in with their culture. And there is already this natural cultural divide within organizations where it's IT versus ICS and OT. Not every organization, but that exists, right? So 
you have an uphill battle to establish credibility. But if you walk in there, and here's here's my biggest hint: anybody that wants to get an ICS and OT, if you start off in IT cybersecurity, number one, first and foremost, take the time to learn the ICS OT systems, environments, the different types of environments and the components and how they work. Number two, stop thinking like an IT cybersecurity person. You have to consider operations first and you have to show the engineers that you understand that their systems are different and your intent is not to impose cybersecurity <laughs> onto operations. You have to consider operations first. And I can tell you a little bit more about what that means later. But uh -huh. just remember, ask me later about having an operations mindset first. And that's that's the key to solving this gap. It sounds like you have to uh, like also like pay a tribute to the OT engineers. Like, you know, come <laughs> in with like a like a goat and put it down. Get, you know what I mean? Like give it to them. Like a Tom Brady? Oh, sorry. Um, yes. But, oh, yes. Thank you. Sorry, respect. East, respect. Yeah, East Coast. Go, East Coast joke. Um, so, it, it, you know, in a way, it may it may feel like that, but ultimately, the 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 major cultural divide. And thank you, by the way, for the person who said thanks for being on the show. I'm glad. You know, happy to be here. But ultimately, the cultural divide has really been the engineers kind of feel like that IT cybersecurity is trying to impose this thing upon them and they just need to get their job done. And, and, and Hey, things are fine. We have safety systems, leave us alone. And of course yeah. the IT cybersecurity side says um, you won't listen to us all, you know, you only have your one way of thinking and there is a middle ground and, and, and it, it, it can be solved. Yeah, so I mean, uh, we're, I, there's a bunch of great questions coming in from chat that I'm going to start firing, firing sure. up. But it it does sound like um, that might be even more part of the job, uh, just like in IT cybersecurity, understanding how the business works, understanding how to speak money um, is going to get you political capital to be able to achieve your goals. It sounds like it's very similar in the ICS space where you have to speak engineer and recognize and respect their um, their way of operating and then, you know, kind of work with it. Um We've got some great questions coming in here. Jess wanted to know, you know, which system would be best to learn first? I guess you had mentioned programming and, uh, you know, some of these different vendors. Is there like a dominant one? Like when we talk about cloud, it's like AWS or Azure. Is there somewhere first that she might want to go? So like specifically in ICS and OT, which. Um... Yeah, yeah. Like to keep the discussion there. Yeah. So I saw a comment earlier that says, yes, they're all very different, but they're still all the same. And that's very true. So each vendor has their own protocol or not. A lot of vendors have their own protocols, their own proprietary systems and hardware. And however, there, there is an aspect of, they all have sort of the underlying premise, like the different logic loops, process loops, and uh, the way that they work and they function. I would say rather than focusing on any particular system, just read up on or take courses on just basic industrial cybersecurity in general that covers kind of the overall premise, the overall purpose of, a, of an ICS, the functionality of process automation, maybe understand a little bit about what ladder logic is for or, or function block programming and what it's for. 
how controllers work in general and all the different components. That's what I would focus on. Understand the generalities and the overall all-encompassing commonalities between all control systems. Because here's how it breaks down. Once you get, once you understand control systems, then you have the different control systems, which is, you know, a, a distributed control system, a SCADA system, supervisor control and data acquisition systems, safety instrumented systems. And then underneath those, and there's, there's a few more, and underneath those, then you have the actual processes, which is, you know, it's process systems like um, cracker systems, boiler systems, distiller systems, injection systems, steam injection systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say, don't burden yourself. Don't cloud your mind. Don't confuse yourself with trying to understand individual systems now. And if you're talking about like, should I learn Rockwell or GE or whatever, understand basic protocols first. Like, so start with something like Modbus and Profinet and, you know, the, the S7 pro the most common ones. And once you understand basic industrial, and we're talking about uh, TCP IP based, TC, like Modbus TCP, and then quite frankly, if you understand the, the, the original protocols, just understand a, a handful of the most common industrial protocols, you'll pretty much get the gist of how all protocols work and where their weaknesses are. There's different commands and different variations of the, the you know, yeah. what, these are you saying, but anyway, but that that's what I would start with. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds more like on the engineering side, kind of Lorenzo is basically starting to roll. Congratulations, Renzo, Lorenzo, as a NERC SIP compliance person. So on the compliance side, the GRC side of, of this world, uh, any suggestions, any good resources? Yeah. So, um, first of all, unfortunately, while, while many, industrial cybersecurity standards, you know, you, you've got your, so like, number one, they all basically say the same thing, but they, they start to go into some specifics based on their, their sector, right? So NERC SIP has some specifics that TSA pipeline, TSA uh, cybersecurity pipeline or guidelines may not cover, may be different, but in general, they all kind of say the same thing. So I would say the big ones are NERC SIP is a great place to start for electric utility. NIST 882 is a oh, pretty yeah. broad encompassing. And in a lot of these cybersecurity standards are based off of your, the industrial cybersecurity standards are based off of your cybersecurity standards in a lot of places, right? So NIST 882, which is industrial control systems cybersecurity is based off of NIST 853, and then a lot of that references back to, or actually the cybersecurity framework references those. And then, so I would say that there are a handful of really relevant or mainstream industrial cybersecurity standards. Uh, and it, it's kind of hard to list them all. I mean, I can list them all, but like, you know, <laughs> ISA, well, the ISA IEC 62443 is a big one. NIST is a big one. NERC SIP is a big one. TSA is a big one. And then CFATS and you have a few others. But for the most part, if you just focus on learning what kind of the, the main ones are and understanding mm -hmm. those, you'll quickly find out that number one, they're all saying the same thing with the exception of some special nuances specific to the sector that they govern. 
Okay. So that, that, that's great information. Thank you. And shout out to NIST. I love personally, you know, I love NIST. If anyone knows me professionally, they know I love NIST. So uh, I love the shout out there. Uh, so we've talked about the engineering side and the compliance side. BSEC actually had a really good question. I got a sound bumper for it here. Like, Oh, it didn't work. I ha it was the uh, cash register thing. Is uh, is there, you know, it is a really niche um, role and feature. And like, you know, anytime there's something, you know, Dragos gets called in, right? They're the go-to. Like, is is there, you know, without getting into numbers and stuff like that, I mean, there's fewer practitioners specialized in ICS. You know, you've already outlined how how specialized it is. Is there more money in it? Like, you know, for for if someone was going to go that career path to, to make that dollar? I think there is, but for different reasons why you might think. So your, your known credible top experts are, I think, are making more money in industrial cybersecurity than you'll find in enterprise IT, but also because it's a it's a it's a starved sector. It's a starved uh, sub-industry of cybersecurity. There's a major gap. I think that, and then because there's a little bit more of a specialization in general, from what I've, from what I've seen is, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a, I think the, the, the salaries are, are in general higher. I think also there's less of a barrier to entry. There are barriers to entry, but it's not like the ones in cybersecurity where, it's really highly competitive and you know, you've got to have some, some pretty good skills in certain circumstances. The barrier to entry in ICS cybersecurity is lower because there's not as many practitioners also because ICS OT is a little bit further behind in terms of cybersecurity. So, you know, skills that were relevant five to 10 years ago, but are old and obsolete and a bit crusty in enterprise now are still relevant in ICS because some of the systems are still pretty out of date. They were kind of behind in the overall cybersecurity game. So uh, in general, the answer is yes. You can make more money in yeah, ICS. It, I'll find the comment as you're responding to this, but um, you know, when I think, when I hear about all the different kind of incidents that have happened in, uh, you know, information security around industrial control systems, it, and the fact that you've got all this legacy uh, tech and Windows XP going on, and it always seems like, to put it very simply, it always seems like the OT network is, you know, air-gapped or completely separated, segmented, and there's like one network connection between it and ot uh in some instances like with stuxnet like the, it isn't even connected it to ot um so is that is that really the case like is it <clears throat> is it like where's i guess to not to not sound dumb but like where are you applying your cybersecurity skills like yeah you could do some sick hack on a mod bus but like if it's completely air gapped is the risk now the physical security like guarding the perimeter or where are you focusing most of you know the security piece? It's a complete misconception that most industrial control systems are air gapped. Um, you, you know, need a T-shirt that says that. You probably have said that a million times. <laughs> well, um, and and even even air gaps don't work, right? I mean, there you, you can still subvert air gaps, and and you can get into the systems with in other, in other ways, uh, but most you'll you'll still see in the industry most systems are not air gapped 
In fact, only, you know, I have a lot of customers and only two, I think, thinking about it, only two actually have not even air gap systems, they're data diodes. So air gapped, they used to be air gapped way back in the day before they became uh, integrated with TCP IP. Systems are not air gapped. They may have data diodes. In some cases, they kind of may be air gapped, but there are still direct attack vectors. In a lot of cases, they're still a flat networks. So the skill set, the reason why the or where you're applying your skill set is directly related to the fact that cybersecurity, from a posture perspective, in a maturity perspective is still way behind enterprise IT was. So that's why the barrier to entry is lower. If you get into ICS cybersecurity, you're actually going to be spending most of your time building the cybersecurity program and building the basics. And because a lot of these systems don't have cybersecurity on them, they're not air gapped. So you're really starting at a basic level as a consultant for the most part helping that side the operation side of the company start get started with cybersecurity. yeah all right well uh i'll i'll own that one and i will never ever say again that it's mostly air gapped that that is thank you for straightening me out on that one uh, i found it interesting I, I didn't realize that that a lot of people i don't know if it's a lot of people but maybe you represent a lot of people but i didn't i, I really just didn't know if people that are non-ICS OT have that conception that, that they're air gapped, but they're certainly not most of the time. Yeah. But Lurker's got a great question here. Can you share with us, uh, you know, an interesting incident that you had to work? Maybe it was an interesting attack vector or uh, it almost turned into like a really bad situation. Yeah. So for the most part, I mean, it, and it's actually somewhat ransomware related, but I will say that, First off, most ransomware incidents don't start in ICS or OT. They actually start in the business side, and for one reason or another, they'll affect the OT, the ICS and OT side. But I would say the most interesting has really been kind of really the last one that I work because I don't really work incidents anymore. But was where malware got in due to and uh, and I'm, I'm trying to be careful about giving up too much information here about what I'm talking about, but yeah, there there was um yeah, so Trickbot infil was able to get in due to a spear phishing campaign, and then mm -hmm. they stayed on the network for months, evaluating the network, and then infected Active Directory servers. They used the login script on the Active Directory servers. They weaponized it to have the payloads propagate to other Active Directory servers, which ended up getting to the Active Directory server on an ICS network, and then from there launched ransomware. And so that, that was, that, to me, that was interesting, we weaponizing the Active Directory login script. Yeah, well, you know, just to kind of pair off that, um, because I find it interesting, and I actually had this question or whatever, um, lined up already because Black Hills Information Security actually did a, a podcast earlier today on ransomware in ICS. And me and a colleague were talking. Uh, I work in manufacturing, which has ICS or it has more OT than anything, really. But we were talking about it. And a lot of our OT systems have 
embedded operating systems, right? Yeah, maybe there's Windows XP or Windows 7, but it's like an embedded version. Um, and it, it, or maybe it's a client workstation that is used to manage the OT, but like you can unplug it and the OT will keep doing it. It'll just do what it was configured to do already. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of data. There's like almost no data really uh, on the OT side. Again, maybe a misconception, but like what's the real, is ransomware really a threat to industrial control systems? So I, I you know, I'm going to pair this with a comment that I see, um, mm-hmm. which the question I'll bring is, it you up. Know, yeah, when you see when when you say affect the ICSOT side from BSEC. So other than that one incident that I worked, most ransomware does not affect the ICS and OT directly. It now it can if there's Windows systems there, but typically most ransomware that has affected ICS and OT it starts on the business side. And so if you, if you look at colonial pipeline, it was actually on the business side and it affected their scheduling systems is what it was. I don't remember, but that was enough. I mean, for, there's a lot of reasons why, and it it, it, it's a larger discussion, but they had to shut down operations because their scheduling systems were affected. So when I say affecting the ICS OT, I'm not saying infecting, I'm saying affecting which is there's something on the business side that gets affected. And for one reason or another, have to, they have to shut down operations. Yeah. And, and I, I can, I can totally get that. I agree. Um, I agree of the affecting, not infecting, especially like uh, another one, you know, the scheduling systems. One thing, if, if they got into a payroll system, if they're doing payroll on prem and stuff like that, and you can't pay your people. I, I don't care how loyal you are <laughs> to the company. If you're not getting paid, it's going to be a problem. Right. So, uh, so, so that, that really is, um, that is, uh, quite interesting. Um, another, uh, kind of question I had, I had queried some of the community in the discord server earlier today to ask them what kind of questions they would be interested in. Uh, one interesting question, and this one might get a little political, uh, so we can, you know, go in any direction you want, Clint, but, you know, a lot of critical infrastructure, water treatment plants, energy sector, it's all privately owned. Um, but they're not really great at security. So the question was around, like, how, how much do you think government should be involved in helping dictate requirements or, you know, mandating certain things and, and how effective that might be? So, yeah, and, and I, I don't like to get into discussions about, about government, but I can tell you what, what my opinion on that is, which is I would love to see individuals taking accountability and, and, and I'm sorry, when I say individuals, I mean organizations and individuals mm-hmm. within those organizations, but I would love to see more accountability, taking accountability for the cyber risk management. And that's kind of what, what I call it when we're talking about ICS and OT. <clears throat> um, I would love to see more accountability for protecting the systems from a cyber threat outside of just doing it because they have to because of regulatory compliance and normally industrial operations are really good at risk management on the operation side that's why they have safety systems that's why they have hazards analysis and they have hsc teams and but cyber is kind of a new threat to them and so and it is a valid threat so I would I would like to see more individual accountability of 
you need to manage your cyber threat, whether no matter how good you think your safety systems are, you still need to manage a cyber threat. And I would like to see less regulation, but unfortunately the reason why regulation exists is because in, in no matter what you're talking about, regulation exists because there are people out there, organizations out there that don't take that accountability. And so then maybe they, they write it off as a, as a risk that they can afford or they can uh, transfer or accept. Whereas differences of opinion, maybe Noel, you may think it's financially okay to accept that risk, but you're, you're hurting other people or hurting other organizations or whatever. So unfortunately, a certain level of regulation does have to exist. And so my my final answer is I only want to see enough regulation that gets us to the, the appropriate level of accountability, um, but not over-regulation. And, 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 and if you inch it up, and if that doesn't work, inch it up a little more. If that doesn't work, inch it up a little more. I mean, sometimes you have to make it hurt to make it better. Yeah, well, and I'd also argue, like, like even if they did over-regulate, how, how effective it is. We've had FISMA since 2002, which is a requirement for federal IT, and I've worked in that space for a long time. And, you know, people are trying, but no one's achieving it, really. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. is it, is you know, what's the, what's the well, thing? I mean, we're seeing insurance companies really drive uh, cybersecurity programs at this point. Yeah, and the problem is, you know, you know, there's a scene in office space, right? Where he says, you know, Bob, that alone you make you work hard enough just not to get fired, you know? And uh -huh. that's what, that, that's what regulation is. It's um, it's, you're only going to make people do just enough not to get fined. So it, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. So let, let's take another question from uh, the crowd here. This is a great one. And then we're going to kick off the giveaways. I forgot to mention in the intro, we're, we're giving away uh, three, uh, one month vouchers to try hack me. So if you've been doing Advent and Christmas, you know how awesome that platform is. Um, and then we'll do the five questions with Clint segment. Yay. All right. So uh, Dylan actually asks a wonderful question. Um, you know, how effective is tabletop or cyber wargaming when it comes to ransomware attacks? Um, and, you know, you can, I think, focus on ICS, Clint, but you could take it a little broader if you'd like. Well, that's something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, mm -hmm. Just saying. But, um, so, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, a per I'm not going to, the person's a criminal, I guess, so I'm not going to say his name, but somebody once said, you know, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And so everybody can have a plan, but it's essential to be able to understand how to execute a plan. And anybody that's been in the military understands operational readiness just because you have a plan doesn't mean you're going to be effectively you're able to effectively execute that plan when the stuff hits the fan and you're freaking out so the bottom line is that exercises are crucial practice is crucial you know you can't go read a book on martial arts and know how to fight right you got to practice you have to go through and you have to do it right and so we fight like we train we train like we fight we, 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 we train like we work, we work like we train. And so you absolutely have to be able to execute incident response plans. You have to be able to execute procedures. So tabletop exercises and operationally ready incident response exercises, what those do 
is they exercise the component that technical training can't exercise, which is the communication, the management, the procedures, all of that, which is you can be technically trained, but when it hits the fan and everybody's running around like a kicked over anthill, you have to be able to operate effectively. That's what exercises do. So they're crucial. Yeah, I, I, I want to chime in on this. I agree uh, 100%. And I think, well, I can tell you for a fact, Red versus Blue, the gamification platform is excellent at helping that. Like I, I've used it in the past on the show to, to help people who want to learn more about cybersecurity because it is a good training platform, but it is a completely practical platform for doing uh, an, an event, right? Because it kind of facilitates the hard parts. Um, also, just as a shout out to Black Hills, they have... Um, not bed knobs and broomsticks. They have uh, back doors <laughs> breaches and breaches. Back doors and breaches, yeah. Yeah, which is a wonderful card game. And I've always felt like the big challenge, like um, like in my organization, I want to do tabletop, but I almost want to bring in a third party to run it because a lot of people that I've done it, I've done them in the past. And a lot of times the IT people come in and they're just like rolling the eyes. And the business people are on their cell phones doing other work. And it's like, oh, like we got ransomware. They're like, oh, we just restore from backups next. And it's like, no, like, like you really have to, you have to like buy into this. Like, it, like, you know, one of the greatest inject cards and in backdoors and breaches is um, your lead senior incident handler gets called in by the executives to give an update. They're out of the picture. And like that person's no longer allowed to help in the incident response. And you really uncover some gaps in people's experience, uh, like who to call, when, when to call people, what's the cadence, et cetera. So I, I find it's absolutely paramount. And I'm going to steal what you just said, Clint, about uh, reading a book on martial arts and being able to fight. Like it made me think about soldiers, right? We don't, soldiers are constantly training, right? It's not like you just hand them a rifle and say like, now if we go to war, you're going to have to shoot. Okay. Like they, there's a reason that you practice. Right. So absolutely just, sorry, get off my soapbox here, but I just, I, I, I love Well, it. that's a whole other conversation, right? You can have a whole episode on uh, tabletop exercises and incident response and incident response plans. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So let's, let's kind of kick off the giveaway and then we'll do the five questions while the giveaway is uh, queuing up with everybody. So, um, I'm probably going to stick with this one for a little while, but it's hashtag the squad. So if you put hashtag the squad in chat, um, you'll get entered to potentially win a uh, month of try hack me on the premium. And they're doing that advent of cyber uh, right now. So, and for those, you know, I haven't really promoted this or anything, but squad is, is basically the, the community, the membership associated with simply cyber. So there's different levels of squad. That's why I'm calling it the squad. If you're wondering, okay. So drop hashtag the squad in chat. And you'll get entered. So let's get back to it. Now, Clint, I want to start uh, what has become near and dear to my heart. Uh, my favorite uh, segment of the show called Five Questions with Guest with Clint. Okay. We've got buzzer options. We're going to ask you to kind of keep your responses to a minute or so. I'm not, I'm not too overly aggressive with the buzzer. But, um, <clears throat> and if there's time, I'll give my answer. But like, let's listen to our buzzer options for this week. Okay. They, they, most of them are you. One of them is just me, but it's a classic one. Okay. So here we go. I need a Scooby Doo thing going. It's a good, 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 good governance. <laughs> okay. That's you <laughs> talking, about, talking about governance. This, it, like, you had a whole, a whole list here that you really can't be in cybersecurity without getting, you know, at least slapped upside the face by GRC now and then. 
<laughs> yep. So you can't you can't work in G, you can't work inside without GRC bothering you. Okay. Here's another one. I didn't have you know the South Pole up. My okay. So <laughs> that was when I was on Clint's program, and uh, he, he, like I've been to the South Pole, and uh, Clint <laughs> Clint was talking about the opportunities there. Here we go. It's not cool here. No, it's not. It's not cool here at all. Simply cyber. Tough break. <laughs> and then the final one. Jesus. Oh, like I just need a break from moving this cash. Yep. That, that's me uh, talking about uh, uh, Charles Finfrock uh, moving millions of dollars from one trunk of a car to another. I'm so, disappointed. Uh, you missed my you missed my favorite one. I'm going to have to send you the audio, which is me with my Harry Potter wand going, vulnerabilities repair us. Oh yeah, actually, I absolutely take that. I might make that a regular, uh, a regular on the channel. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, it's not cool here. Nope. So, uh, Clint, who do you like to follow on Infosec Twitter? So, Infosec, I focus typically mostly on ICS cybersecurity. So, I follow a lot of leaders like uh, Dale Peterson, Eric Byers, oh, Ron Brash, Leslie uh, Car uh, Lockhart. Um, you know, in, in, in organizational usual suspects, I mean, like ICS cert or now CISA, US cert, wired, um, dark reading. So a lot of the ones that most people follow, but I have a few ICS cybersecurity specific, mostly leaders and contributors that I follow. Yeah, I, I like on the ICS side, uh, I met Chris Sistrunk at a, a B-Sides Augusta yep. like a million years ago, and he, postly, he mostly posts picture of uh, smoked meats, but uh, yeah, he, he's one that every time it comes up, I'm like, oh, all right, that's very so, cool. Yeah, like, yeah like Chris this. Sistrunk. Oh, Pascal, duh, better say Pascal. He's on my show, but yeah, uh, Chris uh, Sistrunk is a real good friend of mine, so him as well, Brian Singer, so a lot of ICS experts. Yeah. I didn't have, you know, the South Pole up my what, what's a go-to InfoSec tool for you? Like it's, it's a well-worn tool in your toolbox. It depends on what I'm working on, but I mean, Wireshark is a go-to because I'm a network packet nerd. Uh, Gidra, because I love shellcode and, and dissecting things. Uh, Benwalk, those kind of things. And then going broader, probably a Security Onion as a basic open source monitoring kind of thing. And then a whole host of tools within Kali, if not Kali itself, but I typically don't use Kali itself when pen testing or when I used to pen test. Yeah. I, I like, uh, I like Nmap. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just a classic. It's just, it's always there. It's one of the first tools I download when I get a new uh, box, uh, you know, set up and going. And just as a quick shout out, I do like OLE dump. I don't know if you've ever used that. Yeah. Uh, Didier Stevens. <clears throat> uh, that's a, that's a really useful tool. Very, very specific use case, but right. Uh, Obviously in, yeah. In map was one of the ones I referred to in a whole host of tools and Kali, my, like Metasploit Kali, mm -hmm. um, actually, um, exploit pack. That's a, it's, it, it's, it's just like, um, core impact, um, or there's another or canvas immunity canvas more commercial version of Metasploit, but it's fantastic. Um, core um, exploit pack. You got to, you got to check that one out. All right. Well, well maybe base uh, we've got mod help today. Base is helping us. Maybe he can find that exploit pack and drop a link in the chat. Um, I didn't have, you know, the South pole up. My yes. All right. So I know you're a big video game guy and so am I. So video game question. What gives you the most nostalgia? Yes. Like what, what, what game or what, you know, system or whatever, what gives you the most nostalgia where you just get the feels? Yeah. So the original legend of Zelda, the original super Mario brothers, 
and anything arcade as you know i'm a big i'm a huge uh retro arcade uh fan i build arcades so any anything that's truly retro arcade like galaga pac-man um gradius you know so but that's galaga back there so yeah any of the old original arcades but from the nintendo it's zelda and mario yeah, I personally love, uh, I, I've got so many, right? But I guess just to answer the question, anytime I build a main cabinet, um, the very first game, the game that I test with uh, is Moon Patrol. And yeah, that's I, you know, right. You told me about that. I just, I just love Moon Patrol. Uh, it's a basic, simple game, but I, I really, I just have like some memory of being. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have memory of of being in an arcade as an eight year old yeah. and and dropping, you know, a roll of quarters into Moon Patrol. So it always, it always yeah. feels good. Jesus, oh, like I just need a break from moving this cash. Have you ever had imposter syndrome? I've been asking a lot of my guests this question. Yeah, so. I mean, when I first started my career, obviously, but I guess that's a cheating the answer because everybody probably does when they first start their career. So I would say, um, you know, any time that when you go through your career, you start to lose certain skills in favor of others. And so I think most notably right now, right, I don't really do pen testing anymore. Right? While, while I try to do things with Security Onion and Gidra and Ida Pro, um, I'm not as good as I used to be and I'm out of practice. And so. I think I kind of have imposter syndrome a little bit now whenever people are still referring to me as a hacking expert and things like that or referring to the book that I was the lead author of. And, and you know, that's not really my thing anymore. And so I guess I could still do some of the old stuff, but I'm out of practice and I'm out of date on the new stuff. So I feel like an imposter a little bit when I'm still referred to as kind of an offensive cybersecurity expert. Yeah, I, 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 you know, chime in with answers myself. So this, I, since I've asked this question a bunch of times, I'm, I'm slowly revealing all of the imposter syndromes to uh, chat. Uh, but when I, just as a quick one, I was doing risk heavy GRC stuff for a while. And then I took a job as a security architect, which is much more uh, working with, you know, infrastructure IT, we were rolling out to the cloud in Azure. And you know, I, I had to do a lot of like extracurricular uh, learning to get those skills sharpened back up and, and to be able to be effective at my job. So that, you know, that period where I realized I needed to get those skills and me getting those skills was definitely uh, an imposter syndrome uh, yeah. situation. So I need a Scooby-Doo thing going, it's a good, 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 good governance. <laughs> All right. So since you are, uh, have been and still are an offensive a pen tester security expert have you accidentally ever like hacked something like gone out of scope maybe put in a wrong ip yeah more than once i think it happens it's a natural thing if you've done pen testing you know that happens um and so the most notable one ever was and i'm have to be careful about disclosing because i don't think anyway it's, it's major organization but i was working with a major company and pen testing a major let's call it uh you know, I don't, I don't know, some sort of space agency. And we were at that time scanning large networks hmm. and we were on an IP range to where, you know, we thought we were in scope, but it turns out we weren't. And it was an IP range for some company in Germany. And Ooh. so that would have looked really bad for some agency, the U S government um, scanning, a, you know, a German network, you know, so uh, nothing ever happened to it, but that was one of those oh crap moments, right? 
Yeah. Oh God. That, I'm glad it didn't turn into anything, but that's, <laughs> yeah. You, you get that like adrenaline dump where you, your body goes cold for a split yeah. second. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the, I just hit reply all feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well that, that does it for the five question segment. So thank you. Let's, let's get into the, uh, the raffle here. It's not cool here. Nope. Sure. All right. So check it out. We've got 25 entries. I think that that's fantastic. 47 people in chat. So let's go ahead and start drawing people for that uh, one month. Try hack me uh, membership VIP membership. Patrick, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Patrick, connect with me on Discord and I'll get you what you need or LinkedIn. Here we go. Number two. Oh, Timothy. All right. Good job, Timothy. Connect with me on Discord and LinkedIn. Here we go. Nice job. All right, everybody. Thank you uh, for participating. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, connect with me on LinkedIn or uh, Discord, and I'll get you the uh, what you need in order to um, take advantage of that prize. Congratulations to everybody. So back to you, Clint, and industrial control systems. A couple more questions queued up in chat while we were uh, talking. By the way, here, but... there's a lot of questions yeah. we're not getting to. Um, if you will collect those questions and submit them to me, I will answer every single one of them and you can distribute them in the comments or, or, or the description or however you want to get those questions answered. Yeah, absolutely. So this isn't a question, but I want your thoughts on it. Okay. So, uh, D, uh, D one, uh, said, you know, it saddens because, you know, these industrial control systems are running on Windows 2000, XP, et cetera. And it seems, I'm, I'm ba basing on what he's saying, I'm kind of speculating here, that it seems like it's uh, negligence, right? Or, or, you know, what's the deal with that? What are your thoughts about having these legacy systems in your ICS environment? Look, you know, the bottom line is, is that you have to think of industrial control systems differently than you do enterprise IT in that you have hardware that has a shelf life of 30 years, 40 years, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of cases. And so when you have hardware that has been out there for decades, it's not that easy to just update operating systems, support software and things like that. And so um, over time and through attrition and, you know, the systems and the hardware will get upgraded. Um, but as, as far as the, these systems that are there now, that's the biggest reason why. So it's not just negligence in some cases it is, but it's not negligent because you have hardware that's decades old out there and, and you have to use the same software to support it that you've been using three decades ago. Not, I'm not giving okay. them a pass, but that's the reason why. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I saw this when I worked in the healthcare space as well, you know, a million dollar, uh, MRI machine, it's a business, right? How many x-rays have they done at 50 bucks an x-ray? They're going to, it's got to get to a million before they're even going to consider replacing it. Yeah. Um, but it, and, and it's not it, easy. It's not easy to uproot that infrastructure, right? So when you have these controllers out there and this, this hardware, the systems out there, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of nodes, it's not easy to just replace them all. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, and by the way, just a pro tip for anyone who's um, going to be working on the audit side or the pen testing side, frankly, as well. Uh, if you're looking at these environments and like your recommendation is replace the system, um, that's not going to, you're not going to probably get invited back. You're not going to look like an expert. You need you to might get walked need off to realize, the plant. <laughs> yeah. You need to realize that that is a reality in those environments and that you need to come up with some uh, more thoughtful solutions. Uh, I just want to save anyone from making that mistake as a rookie move. Yep. So uh, Nick asked a question kind of, or yeah, it's a question about what, what are your, what are your best practices? What are your thoughts, re recommendations around how do you talk to senior management about ICS attacks? You have to make, you have to equate just like cybersecurity and business or enterprise IT, you have to equate it to risk of the business. So same thing, cybersecurity in operations, number one, um, they've already equated outages for the operations to the business. You have to just communicate to the fact that a cyber threat vector is a new vector that affects the operations, uh, just like the HAZOPS and the process hazards analysis they've already done. If, if they already understand loss of process, loss of production is lost to the business. So if you take that and then you explain and show and demonstrate the fact that now a cyber vector can cause some of these same hazards and the same outages that an environmental outage can, can, uh, can cause, um, that's when they understand. You, you, you can't think of cybersecurity as a bolt-on to operations or something new. It's just a new threat vector or a new hazard to the existing operational or safe, you know, safety hazards, environmental hazards or whatnot. It's just a new, a new vector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chris is asking about uh, how do you rate the physical pen testing of ICS systems? Like you... this is kind of getting back. A, a, I think he's saying, how much do you, um, how much do you need to know in order to be effective at pen, like physically pen testing ICS systems? Although I'm not hundred percent sure, Chris, when you say physically pen testing, do you mean like, you know, walking onto the plant and, and getting hands on keyboard like that physical. Uh, but I guess just generally speaking, Clint, if you could respond to. Yeah. So know. I, th you know, physical security is often a highly overlooked attack vector to control systems. Whenever we've done full red team testing where where you know, in, or in my career, when I was able to do full red team testing on uh, in control system environment where physical security was on the table, I've always had a 100% success rate of getting into the plant. Um, and you, that I have one customer that that would have been thwarted, but we didn't do full red tent or red team testing. But I think nowadays with like TWIC regulations and, uh, and, and growing regulations in certain sectors, that's becoming harder. But physical is often overlooked. Physical is usually very easy to get on site and get to things complacency is a thing anyway so um a lot of industrial operators kind of throw their hands up well we know our cyber we know our physical security sucks but you know somebody's got to actually be on site don't think that people aren't going to go on site to go mess things up i mean so it, it is a big thing and it's often overlooked yeah well, one final question before i give you the floor to kind of have final thoughts and final final say um what, what I know we talked a little bit earlier uh, to Jess's question about, you know, kind of absorb everything. But I mean, is there is there a practical path to becoming an ICSOT security practitioner? Yeah, it's, it's really sort of what I mentioned before, right? So you need to understand a baseline of enterprise IT cybersecurity first. And then you, I would say, 
I mean, literally go on Udemy and start taking automation engineering courses, PLC programming courses, basic ICS SCADA courses. You know, if you can't, you know, afford $7,000, $10,000 to take a SANS course, there's a lot of alternatives. And, but you, you need to be part cybersecurity professional and part automation engineer, not to the point of having a double E or anything like that, but understand the systems. That's the path that I would take. I mean, uh, understand both of those facets and that will, that gets you started because like I said, the barrier to entry in ICS OT cybersecurity is pretty low. Yeah. What is the practical, what is the, the viability of having a home lab? Like, is there, is there virtualized systems of ICS plants that people can play with? Or do you actually have to buy like a SCADA appliance <laughs> or something? There really are no, ver- I mean, so there's soft PLCs and things like that, but they're kind of hard to get a hold of through the vendors. And there are no real virtual PLCs or virtual process environments uh, to speak of yet hint hint um but you know there are things like uh, there's programs out there like factory io if if, honestly if you want to understand industrial control systems and get a chance to play with it doing some ladder logic programming look into factory io i don't know what the cost is and things like that but um you know you know sorry i'm gonna have to say you know eventually threat gen would love to have a solution for this but we don't yet Mm -hmm. but um ultimately i really think that the only way to get virtual security training for cyber or for ICS, you know, actual PLCs and process environments and all of that is factory. Oh, and Jerry, you might actually be familiar with factory. I'll be in the manufacturing environment, but factory IO, and I don't know the cost might be a little expensive. I don't know, but yeah, there it is right there. Factory Um, it's, you can get some pretty good hands-on kind of programming PLCs, ladder logic, playing around with a process environment. And it is limited to just manufacturing, but I would say that's a pretty good start when you talk when you're talking about virtual and, and being accessible. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that that is good to know, uh, and and probably lends itself to why it's a, a more niche industry too, because there's just like less you know opportunities yeah. for people to get that education. Plus, I I feel like I feel like also like Texas, um, you know, certain key areas in the country, at least within the United States are more likely to have factories and plants that are going to have this type of technology versus, you know, like Connecticut or something or, you know, South Carolina. Right. I mean, there are power plants here and there, but you know, they're, they're not as densely populated as other regions in the country. It just really depends on, yeah. I mean, the sectors, right. And I saw somebody ask a question about what's this best sector to get into. I mean, every sector has different kind of specificities, but you know, your major sectors are going to be oil and gas, electric utility, water, wastewater manufacturing. And I think, you know, those four industrial sectors are going to all be similar to their associated subsectors. But um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you go to Texas, you're going to be oil and gas heavy, right? You're in in electric utility and no jokes about Texas electric grid. Um, And, and then, you know, on the, the West Coast and the East Coast, there's going to be on the West Coast, a lot of electric utility, a lot of uh, wind farms and, and renewables on the East Coast. There's going to be a lot of um, mining, things like that. Midwest is a lot of manufacturing. So, yeah, it, it's pretty regional. OK, so, well, uh, Clint, I've really enjoyed uh, having you. I know Chad has loved having you. I'm going to give you the floor for your final thoughts um, for the audience, and then I will bid you a farewell. 
Well, thanks. You know, I don't want to take up a lot of time other than just saying that, you know, ICS and OT, cyber risk management or cybersecurity, it's a big thing. And there's a huge gap and we need people. And there's a bit of a barrier, uh, there a lowered barrier to entry. And it's not that difficult to get into. You just, you, you, you've got to be passionate about it. You've got to be interested in, in wanting to learn cybersecurity, be interested in cybersecurity. And, and, and really, you, you, it's, for me, ICS and OT cybersecurity is a bit of a larger calling. You know, information security, the risks are data and information loss and theft and corruption, privacy, things like that. Whereas ICS and OT cyber risk management, cybersecurity is, is, is kinetic. It's cyber physical. The, the consequences can be, you know, the impact and the, of the consequences can be catastrophic. We can have environmental damage. We can have health and safety and loss of life issues. And so, and it, it, it we're talking about our critical infrastructure in terms of supply chain, energy, and all of that. And so it really equates to me to national security. So, you know, if that's your thing, if that's your passion, if that's your calling, then it's not that difficult to get into and we need people. And so the last thing I would say is that it's a wonderful community. There are so many people in this community. It's a smaller community and it's tight knit, uh, but we're always welcoming people in. It's very diverse and everyone is willing to help. So if this is something you want to get into, just reach out and people are willing to help. And it's... You know, I, I, I think you'll be glad you did. And I think that it can be a very prosperous career for you. So that's all I have to say. All right. Thank you so much for being with us, Clint. Uh, I sincerely appreciate me. it. And, and thank you, uh, chat. So let me send you to the green room. All right, everybody. So uh, just to give you a heads up on what we're going to be doing, I really appreciate you all being here today for taking the time out of your day uh, to talk with us uh, about industrial control system security. I do want to share with you guys some of the uh, upcoming stuff that you want to know about. Uh, I've started doing this first things first every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So tomorrow at 8.45 a.m. It's normally Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8 a.m., but I have a personal thing tomorrow. So at 8.45, I will do a 15-minute daily uh, or 15-minute cybersecurity briefing where we're going to listen to the top stories of the day. I'm going to pause it after each story and give you the context and, re and reflect on what does it mean for you as a practitioner? How can you use this in an interview? What do you need to know about this story and shape it? And then we'll go on to the next story. Uh, I do it every day, so I'm just turning the, the camera on and going for it with you guys. So please join us for that. And also for next Thursday, we do our live streams on Thursday, right? Uh, we're going to be having Arian Segetti back on the show. We're going to be literally launching ransomware live in a live demonstration to show what it's doing and how controls can um, actually stop ransomware from going. But we're going to, it, it's going to be a very technical episode. It's going to be a lot of demo, a lot of shared screen situations. It's a different format than we're normally doing on the live streams, but I'm excited about doing it. And I hope that you guys can join us. Um, so yeah, I think we've got a banging uh, show going uh, for the next couple of weeks. So hopefully I'll catch you tomorrow. So until next time, stay secure.
You've been listening to Simply Cyber with me, Dr. Gerald Ozier. I invite you to check out Simply Cyber YouTube channel for richer content, links, and live stream engagement. You can find hundreds of free cybersecurity training resources that I've curated at simplycyber.io. Talk to you next time.